Whoa, you went no contact with your family? Like, you don't talk to them at all? Nope, because they're toxic as fuck. Are you also the villain for walking away from your toxic family in order to preserve your peace? Welcome to the Character Outs Podcast, where I am on a mission to normalize going no contact with toxic family. Welcome, all you terrible people. Let's talk about it. Welcome back to the Character Outs Podcast. My name is Terry, and I'm so happy that you're here. Today is a special episode, and these episodes really have my heart because today I'm going to be sharing someone's story. Someone by the name of Alice, who I connected with over Instagram, and we've exchanged several DMs back and forth, and she reached out to me and said, I'm I'm ready to share my story. And these stories always get my heart. First of all, um, you know, when I'm speaking my story on my podcast, I feel like I can mess it up or I can forget a detail or, you know, it's, it's my story. I can mess it up. But there's such great responsibility when someone trusts me to deliver their story of survival with their toxic family or their narcissistic mother. And so it's an honor every time that that anyone wants to share their story with me. So thank you, Alice, for sharing your story with me and allowing me to read it to those who listen to this podcast. Um, I know that listening to stories from others who were where I was, that's what helped get me up off the floor when I was at my lowest point because I was surrounded by people telling me that I was the problem, surrounded by my toxic family, telling me that I was the problem. And I knew I wasn't. And I knew I was a victim of this emotional oppressive abuse. And I knew that I had gone no contact for a reason, but that feels so alone. And so what helped pick me up literally off the floor was hearing stories, hearing people share about how they have been treated by their narcissistic mothers or their toxic families. And it was that that I was like, wait, I'm not alone? Wait a second. Wait, someone else has experienced what I have experienced? But when it comes to especially the narcissistic mother, you know, it's, it's, the situations are obviously going to be a little different, but we're all in this together. When someone shares their story, we can find relevance and comfort in it. So so I just want to thank Alice for choosing me to share her story today. And it's a great honor. Let me just give you a little bit of her background. She's 29 years old, just starting out in life. She lives in New Jersey with her boyfriend, who has been such a huge support throughout the years. She was never able to get a job or function in society the way that an adult should. Her mother made sure that she was terrified of everything. She never finished high school or went to college. She developed an autonomic dysfunction and nerve damage from years of being in flight or fight. This caused a variety of physical symptoms. She says that some days are better than others, but that going no contact has allowed her to receive therapy, prioritize her mental and physical health, and work her very first job. Her dream is to become a psychologist specializing in victims of narcissistic abuse, and she hopes to use her pain for purpose and help others who went through the same experiences. So now I'm going to read the letter that Alice has shared with me. My name is Alice. I am the scapegoat oldest daughter of four children, and this is my story of survival. 
For as long as I can remember, I always knew there was something different about my mother. She just wasn't like other mothers or other people for that matter. While my childhood friends would enjoy a day at the park and some ice cream with their parents, she would play dead on the living room floor until we cried. When I was six years old, she went through her first divorce. I will never forget the phrase, quote, men are cheating animal pig dogs from hell, end quote. It was during that time that I became her confidant, her therapist, and private investigator. It didn't matter that she was already remarried to her second husband of the next 20 years. If I didn't have a full report by the time daddy dropped us off home on Sunday evenings, I was no good. I was taught to earn her love. My younger brother, Mason, was the golden child, her surrogate husband and, quote, protector. From a young age, he was made to believe I was the enemy. While Mason was greeted with warmth and affection, I was met with insults and disgust. He would receive special privileges, new toys, the latest gaming systems, all while I would beg and bargain for just the necessities I was told I, quote, didn't need. One year, a former neighbor of ours gifted me with a winter coat after noticing I didn't have one at the bus stop. The simple act of walking in the door wearing my new jacket was enough for me to be punished. I spent the rest of that day hiding my tears. I grew up confused and all alone, wrestling to navigate the world I was taught to be afraid of. She loved to tell everyone what a problem child I was. I spent many years of my life ostracized, serving an indefinite sentence in my room, punished. She never had any real reason. She didn't need one. After all, she sacrificed her life for me, and that was enough. She could have went through with the abortion, but chose to walk out of the clinic instead. She never left that detail out. And that made me indebted to her, and I was ungrateful for it. As time went on, I became all too familiar with the depth of her fury. At the ripe age of 14, desperate, I sent myself to a psychiatric institution. I wanted freedom to be heard or both. I was admitted for seven days and soon enough, I was sent back to my room. There was never any follow-up. I tried to run away, but never made it far. Child Protective Services and the police were frequent in my house. She was able to charm her way out of the consequences with each visit. When they saw there was food and shelter, what they didn't see were the invisible scars. I reached out to family for help, only to be told they did not want to get involved. Surely it couldn't be that bad. But they knew. They always knew. It wasn't until later on I learned of the system we were all a part of. She was the puppet master, and we were all her puppets. The only identity we had could be found in the roles we were forced to play. And the most important role was to never break the mold, never to tell. So we never told. It was the greatest show on earth. Hopeless, untrusting, and afraid, I began to cut myself. She told me not to get blood on her walls. Vodka offered me its shoulder to cry on. As we got older, her obsession and emotional enmeshment with my brother grew. She flirted with him and his friends. Hugs goodbye became longer and more intimate. A few certain girls weren't allowed over once they were deemed as a threat to her. 
She became furiously jealous of me and any male attention I might receive, always making a point to give herself credit and declare what a natural beauty she was whenever anyone would look my way. She found great pleasure in sabotaging my relationships and poisoning every aspect of my life whenever she could. She watched my achievements, hopes, and dreams fall apart with a smile on her face. Her favorite hobby was my undoing. My deterioration was her drug. Her only drive was to keep me deserted from everything life had to offer. And so she did. The competition was always one-sided. She thirsted for the spotlight while I hid from it, ready to tell her deluded tales of woe, heroism, and sacrifice to anyone willing to listen. A story of the perfect mother and the strongest woman alive, a legend in her own mind. I was always left stunned, watching her boast about herself to complete strangers. She said they'll make her a saint when she dies. I tried hard to find any reason why. Sloane is my younger sister. She lived her life in darkness, seeking solace in her books. She completely dissociated herself from the martyrdom and spent her entire childhood in fear of our mother afraid of not pleasing her, afraid of not being noticed by her, and afraid of not being loved by her. Sloane starved herself because she was told if she lost 20 pounds, she would be gifted a whole new wardrobe. She was always, quote, too fat or, quote, not as pretty to her mother, who mocked her behind closed doors. So Sloane stopped eating for as long as she could. She locked herself in a room to sleep the hunger away, but somewhere along that deep need to please our mother, it shifted into realization. This was never about love. It was about control. Our mother was all about keeping up appearances, anything to maintain the picture-perfect family image. Sloane might have taken some time to notice it, but she finally did. At 23, I found out the man I knew to be my father legally adopted me while she was pregnant, and my biological father was a man named Gary from Indiana. I was able to locate Gary, and soon after, we were in contact. My mother saw this as yet another opportunity to steal something that belonged to me. He saw financial security. She owns a very lucrative, almost million-dollar business and loves to shout about it from the rooftops while he was struggling to make ends meet. Unhappy in her marriage to my stepfather, she cheated. It became the typical Shakespearean love story, and of course, she was the lead. I was nothing but a pawn in their game. Gary ended up leaving his wife and daughter in Indiana and moving to New Jersey to be with her. One month later, he proposed. It couldn't have happened fast enough. Inevitably, my stepfather caught on to the affair, and he wasn't the only one. My youngest brother, Derek, was only 10 at the time. He would often wonder where mommy went and why she would come home drunk and climb in bed when the bars were closed, looking for comfort and sympathy from him. Quote, your father's a monster, she would cry, throwing herself into his little arms. With Mason being gone, it was now his job to protect her. When she discovered Gary's true motivation after searching through his texts, I was the one to blame. Facing reality was something she didn't have the capacity to do. Introspection was foreign to her. She simply didn't care that she was destroying our family again. As far as her eyes could see, she was the only victim. Not Derek. 
She never apologized for robbing me of the opportunity to get to know my father. Even being adopted herself, she couldn't empathize. Instead, she bought herself a house on the water in a private community off the coast of Southwest Florida, an RV and three dogs to cope, while Derek would be in therapy for years to come. And we never heard from Gary again. Throughout the years of abuse that would follow, well into my adulthood, I continued to exhaust every effort in an attempt to understand her. I tried to reason with her, I tried to save her, only to be left tormented, ridiculed, and defeated. Everything I knew was invalidated. Everything I felt was made a mockery. In her mind, I was always the broken one, and she made me believe it. Then one night, everything changed. Rock Bottom was ending up in county jail after finally fighting her back. Because her injuries were worse than mine, she was successful in convincing the police that I attacked her. By the grace of God, all charges were dropped. Looking at where I was and who I'd become made me realize she wasn't worth it anymore. I decided to save myself instead. From that night on, I went no contact. I found my voice, and I was reborn. Sloane followed shortly after, becoming mom's new primary target. She is happily married and recently gave birth to their first child, a beautiful baby girl, and couldn't fathom the thought of her innocent little life being subjected to the same horrors we experienced growing up. I am in total admiration of the strong, courageous woman she has become. Sloane is everything a mother should be and everything our mother will never know how to be. But as you might expect, it doesn't end there. After a slew of threatening emails, mom decided to take it a step further and contact Sloane's landlord with an arsenal of lies in an attempt to have her thrown out of her apartment for refusing to break no contact. A final punishment. When that didn't work, she moved on to plan B, threatening to sue for grandparents' rights. The same woman who cried day and night when she found out she was going to be a grandmother. And not tears of happiness, but tears of sorrow. Age was creeping up, and it was all about her. The same woman who said to my sister, Just call me after you have the baby. Then shortly after that, thought it was necessary to verbally assault Sloane in the most inhumane, unimaginable way telling her how disgusting she is as she was still in the hospital recovering from C-section complications. Yet through all of this, Sloane remained strong in her conviction to break the cycle. It ends with my niece. Like all great warriors, we have our own battle scars. Years of living in fear, stuck in a perpetual state of fight or flight, led me to become disabled. It has been a year and three months since I made the decision that would change the trajectory of my life. Going no contact has allowed me the opportunity to prioritize my physical and mental health for the first time. Each day has its blessings and challenges. At 29, I am just now getting to know myself, the real Alice, to be in my own skin, what it means to feel alive. Alice, I sit here and I wish you were with me. I wish that I could hug you. I wish that I could rewrite history for you. I wish that I could have given you a better mom. <laughs> and I just want to send my love and healing and hugs and strength to you. 
And I want to thank you for being so vulnerable in that letter and sharing your story. I know it's not easy opening Pandora's box and actually writing what happened. And I could barely get through it without crying. And yet here you are standing strong in your convictions. I am so very proud of you. Thank you again, Alice, for sharing your story. This has been a stories episode on the Character Outs podcast. If you would like to share your story either through an interview or by sending me your story through a letter that I will read on the podcast, contact me at characteroutspodcast at gmail.com. Cheers till next time, friends.